Blog Talk Radio. On 2 October 1958, Guinea became the first of France's colonial territories in sub-Saharan Africa to declare its independence in an act of defiance against its former colonial master. Center of the world. Latitude zero. Longitude zero. Planned by the Creator. Cisanthropus was the first man found on the Earth. That Earth was the motherland, Africa. We know that without total understanding of what happened in the past, it would be difficult to relate to the future. We know that within the structure of the music, there should be a message, and the message should be truth. So now, we give you Africa, the center of the world. Good evening. This is Charles Collingsworth at the White House in Washington, D.C. For many of you, this will be your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady.
grandfather killed my great-great-grandfather, and your white-great-grandfather sold my great-grandfather, and your white-grandfather raped my grandmother, and your father stole, cheated, lied, and robbed my father. What kind of a fool would I have to be to say, come, my friend, to the white daughter and son? Good evening, America. This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect. We at war! That's what I told you. I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigga don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood rushes through your veins, you feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here? In the land of the free, home of the brave. The year's 95, you're a slave. When they first hear the news Press play and then rewind and review But the message is clear And it cuts just like the knife You don't surrender, they take your life And I remember some movies my mama used to show me What's your name? Remember the times when they bought and they sold us We are That's what I told you That's what I told you Oh, 
as it relates to cool Cuba. We hope to have with us soon, Sister Shirley Bosch from the National Network on Cuba to come. And then last and not least, we have a political panelist and analyst to speak on the theme tonight, which is a reflection of our past. Throughout this program, we're going to, be, we're going to play some historical footage of various things that took place and of significance. Once you reflect, then you can call in and um, talk about it. Again, our program tonight will be a reflection of our past. That's what we're going to do. This is Brother Africa. This program is under the banner of the African Awareness Association. We would like to remind you that every Sunday evening at 7 p.m., normally at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S., you can catch us at that time. Share with your friend. There's a special program. We came on a little later tonight because you truly had an obligation to do some work out of town, and we had to delay this particular program. But we're doing the best. Like we said, we may not give you what you want, but we'll do our best to give you what you need. So bear with us. We apologize for coming a little late, but, you know, we was out doing some work for our people, and um, I think you understand that. So at this point in time, we're waiting for our special guest to come in until she comes in. What we're going to do, like always, when we start our show is we're going to introduce our political panelists and analysts. And for tonight, we are very happy and honored and proud to have a brother back for a little while. I don't know how long he can stay with us, but he's going to try to make some contribution to today's program. Uh, he's been um, under some illness, and he's still recuperating, but he felt like he felt a little, a, little, a, a little bit better where he'll be able to function at least a little bit for today's program. And we are very happy to have our brother Anthony back. We'd like to bring him in and say welcome back, Brother Anthony. Welcome to Africa on the Moon, Brother Anthony. Thank you very much for having me, and I'm glad to be back. Uh, let's see. Uh, the, I've been listening to the last few programs uh, primarily online, and uh, I'm glad to be back. And I've missed everybody. Glad to have you, brother Anthony. Next, we're going to next we're going to our sister, sister Eleanor. We'd like to welcome her to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, sister Eleanor. Thank you so much, brother Africa, and thank you, fellow panelists. And brother Anthony, it's so very good to hear your voice and you to be back on the air. I myself have been struggling for months with uh, frequent hospitalizations and then once again speaking to uh, my fellow panelists and our listening audience in the United States of America and abroad from uh, hospitals. Uh, This evening I'm coming from uh, Georgetown University Hospital. But that doesn't stop anything we got to move on, and, and we had a very, very successful demonstration here in the District of Columbia in support of the Cuban Revolution to stop the 62-year embargo and to take Cuba off of the state terrorist list. So this is a wonderful day, Mozambique. Independence Day, Brother Anthony's return, and I tell you, what a great day it is. 
the demonstration okay. was a huge success, and the event at the uh, Westminster Church at Fourth and I Street Southwest was a huge success. All right, thank you, Sister Eleanor. Next, we'll go to Brother Moses. We'd like to welcome him as well to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Moses. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. Greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during the government class back in my high school year, 1968. I won't prolong my presentation. Uh, uh, it's good to be here. It's, it's been a great day, a great weekend. I've been out of town myself, uh, North Carolina, uh, for a funeral, but uh, it is it is good to be back. Thank you. And because, Brother Moses, our condolences go to your family and to you for your loss of your sister and, um, you know, um, the best way to serve your sister and memories is carry out the values and principles that she often conveyed and she will be proud of you. She will live forever. So give our condolences to your family from Africa on the moon. Next, we have our guest that we've been waiting for, Sister Cheryl LaBosch. We're going to bring her in right now. What we're going to do is, as we say, our theme today is a reflection of our past. And we're going to bring in the sister, and um, she's going to give us um, her analysis and a report and talk a little bit about this great weekend, not only in Washington, but what I understood is there was actually people to put on programs all, all around the country as it relates to trying to get Cuba off the terror list and lift the blockade and all that good stuff. But anyway, my sister Cheryl, she's going to tell us all about it. And we're going to bring her in right now. So right now, Sister Cheryl, if you hear my voice, we'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Moon and just give our people a little background in terms of um, who you are. Cheryl Bosch, the mic is yours. Uh, thank, thank you, Brother Africa, for inviting us on this program. I, I learned something while I was listening to the other callers that today is Mozambique Independence Day. Uh, and certainly that is something worth, uh, worth celebrating as well. The, the initiative for this uh, really week of actions to, um, came out of the National Network on Cuba uh, last meeting where it was clear that pressure had to be put on the U.S. government that we had to step up our work. It wasn't enough to do educational work and the kinds of things that we've been doing for so many years that we have done so much. Uh, and really, we've accomplished all of these resolutions from elected officials, from city councils, from uh, state legislatures even, from unions and labor organizations. Um, that have said that they want the blockade to end and they want Cuba off the state sponsors of terrorism list. We have 92, we had 92 until this week, 92 such resolutions. And we had to find a way of um, like insisting that we be heard. And that's how this mobilization started. It was the initiative of 
the young uh, activists who are being attracted to the Cuban Revolution and who are uh, getting involved, not only getting involved in the struggle, but actually leading the struggle. Two of our young co-chairs, and, and really uh, by right, yeah, they are the ones who should be on with you, but they are very, very tired. We, we all are. Uh, but the bulk of the work fell on them. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure they're tired. Um, but, uh, you know, so I want to give credit to them. I want to give credit to them. And maybe they can be on one of the shows a little bit later when they've had a chance to digest all of this. Um, they were leaders on the May Day Brigade this year where a whole host of other young were, you know, introduced to Cuba. Most of them were first-time travelers. And they came back, even though they, they uh, encountered, many of them encountered problems coming back, uh, more extensive questioning than should have happened. Uh, even, even though they faced that, that a little bit of harassment on it, it only made them stronger and more determined to come out into the street. So um, that's really what this, this was. In addition to organizations working together, some that don't usually work together, everyone pitched in to make this, uh, this weekend really so wonderful on so many ways. Uh, as, as the previous caller said last night, at Westminster Church was exhilarating and uplifting uh, with uh, some new um, singers who who really uh, brought forth a lot of spirit in that church. Uh, you know, we heard from the representative of the Cuban embassy who, uh, you know, gave not a long talk, but a talk that uh, expressed how difficult the situation is and, and kind of the analysis of, of the use of the lies uh, that the media is putting out um, as a way of disorienting. But no one was disoriented today at all. People came out early. They even finished painting banners on the, you know, on the sidewalk. Uh, they came out with the, uh, you know, so much energy and heart um, to demonstrate at the White House and tell Biden that it's time to get Cuba off the list. And this is not just a one-time thing. We are going to continue. And, amp well, and, and I, I have to say, too, that Sister Gail Walker, the executive director of IFCO, uh, Calla Walsh, one of the new young co-chairs, and... Um, uh, Alejandra Rincon from uh, California, all were arrested in Bob Menendez's office when they went there and said that they wanted to see Bob Men Menendez and give him the messages from Cubans in Cuba who were writing and saying what policies of the United States were doing to their lives to their businesses and their livelihoods and uh, the economic life of people in Cuba. So 
Uh, it was a, an amazing week, a wonderful week, and there were demonstrations or events held in in uh, 30 different cities. We haven't seen all the reports because we were busy today. There were demonstrations in Los today, Los Angeles, I know, and also in Detroit. Um, there were the uh, LGBTQ pride demonstrations where uh, people in Seattle and in uh, Minnesota and in New York joined with those uh, those demonstrations to talk about Cuba, Cuba's new families code. Um, so there were many, many ways that people were in the street all across the country, even uh, you know, small places like Bloomington, Indiana, had an activity today. Um, so it, it it really is um, very exciting, the uh, expression of a new wave in the movement that you and and so many of your listeners have been involved in and dedicated to. Hey, Cheryl, can you explain to our listening audience what is the strategy and what kind of impact do you think these resolutions that are being passed by these city councils and these different political bodies are having on the impact of trying to get this U.S. embargo um, lifted as well as getting Cuba off of the terror list? Well, we believe that the people of the United States do not support the federal government's policy against Cuba. Many people don't know, but if they were told about the blockade, the state sponsors of terrorism, and how this, the U.S. government is intentionally inflicting harm on the people of Cuba and hiding their hand and trying to pretend that they're not doing anything, that this has gone on for 60 years, that they've, in fact, admitted it in writing and State Department memos. Um, so what's happened is people have gone to uh, their city council and explained the situation. Well, that's all well and good, but unless you can uh, actually count what you've done and be able to report and focus what you've done. I mean, these city councils have been won over to putting their names on a document that says that their city is for ending the blockade and taking Cuba off the list, that their labor union gone on record saying the blockade needs to end, and the um, Cuba needs to be taken off the state sponsors of terrorism list. So, you know, although it seems like these are not, um, you know, they're not binding, they can't make anybody do, do anything, but what we can do is demonstrate that there is broad support across the United States in places like Montana, like, um, well, Indiana, 
you know, many places all across the U.S., as well as big cities like Chicago, um, for example, like Detroit, like Cleveland, like Pittsburgh, um, that, that large and small populations and significant labor unions, the International Longshore and Warehouse Union, not only passed a resolution, but gave $10,000 toward the appeal to buy syringes for Cuba during the pandemic, um, you know, when, when they had developed vaccines, but the blockade was stopping them from getting the kind of, you know, the syringes that they needed. Um, it's, uh, another kind of demonstration to my way of thinking and what our strategy has been with that and is with our activities in Washington this week is to be able to say, look, these resolutions now represent 52 million people. So you're going to say that this representation of 52 million people you know, you say that elections matter and all that. Well, these are elected officials. These are the people who are represented. So, you know, how, how do you justify what you're doing? You have to answer to us for what you're doing to Cuba. You have, I mean, you have to say why. You can't just say, oh, you know, it's some foreign policy thing. We're speaking with the authority of 52 million people. Um, so it's it's still not uh, enough. Uh, we're going to evaluate the strategy of the um, resolutions, especially since New York City passed a resolution unanimously this week. Uh, so now, you know, if we get Los Angeles, which we're hoping to get soon, uh, we already got what the council in Washington. They passed a resolution unanimously and, in fact, waved Cuban flags during the vote, uh, two of them that I saw, and I think uh, there were two others. Um, these are, uh, again, these are representations of the kind of support that Cuba has. So uh, the federal government can't continue. We, we want to make sure that the federal government hears our voice, uh, that we, we won't accept this anymore. And we need new strategies for doing that. And certainly uh, if anybody who has uh, possible or, you know, suggestions on how to do it, how to, mobilize ordinary working class oppressed people to show that they are opposed to the blockade uh, on an ongoing way. We, you know, we can have demonstrations and we do, and we really did today, but a demonstration is something that passes these resolutions. We have official copies that, that um, that exist and that could get you know piled up one on top of another that get used to talk to other people 
about the um, about the blockade and why the blockade should end. Um, so they're they're a useful tool for outreach too, as well as reflecting the will of the people in a concrete way that is ongoing. Does that answer your question? I'm sorry I went on so long. Uh, take your time. You have plenty of time. You're talking about Cuba. Cuba has done and continues to do so much for the world and for people all throughout the world. So, you know, take your time, my sister. You're doing well. Um, sister Cheryl, let me ask you this question about this question of Cuba being on the state-sponsored terrorist list. How does that impact Cuba's ability to trade and do business in the international community? Well, see, the, again, this is the, the secret way that they intensify the blockade with their lies about Cuba. Um, the, the state sponsor of terrorism list automatically, it's, it's like flipping a switch to tighten a screw. It's um, when, when, Somebody in the federal government decides to put a country on their state, their list of countries that sponsor terrorism. Um, automatically, first of all, there's no uh, judicial or arbitrary or multilateral. Uh, this isn't anything but somebody in U.S. government making a decision and saying, uh, you know, I'm going to tell this lie and this country is going to go on the list. Well, what happens when you go on the list of state sponsors of terrorism, it automatically calls into effect certain other things. First of all, you can't, uh, you know, if, if universities want to send students to Cuba, they have to get insurance. Um, they have to be able to do a, a legal uh, transaction. And the state sponsors of terrorism makes their insurance companies go, um, well, you know, I don't think we can insure that trip. You know, so those aren't like frontline attacks like dropping a bomb or um, you know, uh, burning a sugarcane field like they used to do. What it does is it does this like third generation behind. So it makes everything more difficult. It makes companies that may have charged a higher price before to do business with Cuba. Now they say mm, it's really not worth it for us to take a chance of making the United States angry and have them uh, fine us. Because we know that for, for years, uh, countries that have traded with Cuba or uh, done uh, transactions in dollars from Cuba have been fined. They're, they're accused of money laundering uh, if they trade with Cuba or they process transactions. So even during the pandemic, there were transactions, there were contracts that were canceled. There were, um, uh, you know, it was really uh, very, very 
difficult, and it still is very difficult. I think in the age of computers, it's made it a lot easier for the government to uh, look at ways that Cuba may have been able to continue to trade even with the blockade and with the state sponsors of terrorism too, that becomes, you know, an even bigger impediment. Uh, It's um, completely arbitrary. There's no justification. Trump put them on the list just days before, and after Biden was elected, and just days before uh, Biden took office, and Biden had planned to undo it, to you know, to reverse some of Trump's cruel uh, policies and additions. Uh, but he hasn't, and now it's like three years into his term of office, and there is no indication that he is planning to do any of that. So we figured it was definitely time to uh, beginning to, to be more insistent because there are so many more people who now understand more about Cuba. The lies can't, uh, can't penetrate as much, although there, there's, you know, this thing of the listening post that the Chinese are forming a listening post in Cuba. Uh, they came out with like four different sto- different versions of the story in just uh, in just a week's time, uh, enough to confuse people. You know, you put the story out there a bunch of different ways, and then people start thinking that well, maybe it's true. Uh, or that's what they remember, or it, it stops them from a, from acting um, from acting on the blockade and and trying to get the the blockade ended. Um, it certainly appeared that what was happening is the pressure for Biden to take Cuba off the list is growing. So a way of circumventing that is by uh, putting out these, uh, you know, really bald-faced lies uh, and cause confusion that will make it more difficult for Biden to remove Cuba from the list. And then it's complicated because the Biden administration, uh, as well as the Trump administration, the whole capitalist government, is hell-bent on a war with China. And uh, so that, you know, that complicates the situation because they are, uh, you know, also have other interests. It's like killing uh, a bird with... uh, What's the saying? No problem. Is this a show? Oh, you doing yeah. great. Hey, Cheryl, let me ask you this. In terms of this weekend activities, can you give our uh-huh. audience a sense of the importance of the program on Saturday at Westminster Presbyterian Church on the mm-hmm. 24th? They show an right. excellent film named, named Minstrel, Mean Teachers, 
and how Cuba wiped out the illiteracy problem in less than one year. Can you talk about a little bit about the film and the importance of, of the role of the youth and women and just the whole, the whole idea of what it means to be a nation where you love each other? Well, we were very fortunate. The minister uh, of Minister Hamilton, who is a friend of Cuba, uh, agreed to to show the movie using their their uh, you know their really high tech projector. So we saw it on a big screen. It was the biggest screen I've seen this movie on. And it was spectacular with a you know really good sound system. Uh, just uh, to see these young people, to hear the story uh, of th- these women's lives, how they how they had um, gone out into the countryside to uh, teach, how and, and interwoven in that story is the story of the you know the terror campaign that and the bay of pigs invasion because all of these things happened at the same time and in the early 1960s 1961 so the um it's a very uplifting and hopeful movie that that cuts to the basics Cuban revolution that the development of each human being was the most important thing that um, you know Cuba puts human beings uh, and the welfare of human beings uh, really ahead of everything and we saw that during the pandemic too so if people have not seen that movie, uh, Washington, D.C.'s library belongs to something called Canopy, K-A-N-O-P-Y.com. And Canopy has a lot of really good educational films, and you can get them free with your library card. Um I mean, it's not a, it's a streaming uh, process. So you uh, get an account uh, online with your library card. That's all you need. And then you can uh, watch um, Maestra, which is the name of the film, uh, really anytime you want. You can project it if you want to show it with friends uh, and discuss it you know, discuss what it meant. And we know a lot of people in this country cannot read. Um, it's it's really one of the crimes of the uh, capitalist system. So, you know, it shows not only Cuba's commitment in those early years, but how important it is for people to be able to read uh, learn and think for themselves. Uh, it's one of the uh, the hallmarks of the Cuban Revolution. And really, I encourage anyone who hasn't seen it, or if you haven't seen it for a while, that it's very, very uh, wonderful film. 
uh, well worth watching. It's only 30 minutes, um, and uh, it was uh, what the D.C. Metro Coalition, uh, in support of the Cuban Revolution, uh, selected to have the first item on the agenda. So it really set the tone. Uh, Reverend Hamilton uh, spoke, and uh, then I think we showed the film, and then the uh, ambassador, or the person from the embassy spoke. Um, so it, it was an excellent program. It was not speech heavy. We had a lot of culture. Our sister Nubia, um, who's a you know really worked very hard on that whole program, uh, was uh, shared a tremendous poem. It was a poem that she had. She wrote after her first trip to Africa, to uh, Cuba, um, and it's a very moving poem about the interrelationship between Africa and Cuba. So, you know, I highly, uh, if somebody has not heard Nubia's poem, I, I recommend that as well. We heard from Calla Walsh, the young, one of the young co-chairs of the NNOC, and she actually was arrested at Menendez's office, very brave. She's 19 years old uh, and a real uh, wonderful young woman, a real fighter for the people. Uh, and the program was also uh, moderated by Voices with Vision, producer uh, Netva Freeman uh, and Kamau Benjamin spoke from the DC Metro Coalition and the AAPRP. So I'm going to have to leave you. I was supposed to be at a meeting at nine o'clock, but I did want to come on and talk about this wonderful week and encourage everyone to get, I mean, that we want to, def each one of us want to defend Cuba is a wonderful thing, but when we join together with other people and actually push it, a project forward, that we join in activities like this, like this week uh, across the country, uh, it really... Um, it, it really begins to make it felt, and we can't sit still for it. This, the U.S. government is doing this in our name, with our money. Oh, as Netra pointed out today in a panel discussion, you know, the money that is stolen from us uh, through taxation, um, you know, that $20 million is set aside every year for destabilization of Cuba uh, and more. That, that's like the admitted amount for some of the communications. No. Hey, sure. Let me stop you right quick. Let me get your answers. One quick question and, and tell people how can they support the National Network on Cuba and the D.C. Metro Coalition. Just one quick question. Do you think mm -hmm. that all politicians will have accountable to their position on Cuba if they should receive any of their votes? 
You know, honestly, I I think that, no, they shouldn't. And, in fact, the strategy in California, the strategy in California is through getting these unions passing the resolutions is that when politicians come to the union and say, we want your money, we want your people to go out and campaign, the unions are say, want to say, what's your position on Cuba? Because we've passed all of these solutions. These are the positions of our union. And we want to know what you think. So they can be denied money for their campaigns because of their taking an anti-Cuba position. So... And they not only should be, they should not only be held in terms of what is our position, but what are they prepared to do to change in the blockade? But real quickly, Cheryl, just give us some information. How can we support the National Network on Cuba and can touch with the DC Metro Coalition? Matter of fact, we have two of the members on on, on this particular program. We ask them that question. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the National Network on Cuba, what is what is it? How can can the people support it? Okay, go to go to our website. It is. Pretty easy. It's n n o c dot org. It's the initials of National Network on Cuba. N n o c dot org, and there you'll find a lot of information on that website. Uh, when the brigade, when we launch the brigade uh, for May Day, again that'll be on there. And there is a way to contact us. So um, also, if you are on social media, we have uh, an Instagram account that's National Network on Cuba. We have a Facebook account, which is National Network on Cuba. And we have a Twitter account that's very active. And that one is NNO Cuba. Uh, is our handle there. So we want to hear from everybody. Uh, We would like you to follow our social media and, um, you know, engage with us that way too. And sure, we really would like to thank you for taking time to give us an update on this weekend activities as as relates to Cuba and getting it off the and the work that you and others have been doing for years with the NNOC, the D.C. Metro Coalitions, and all the other groups, uh, the Cuba C groups, you name them. We'd like to thank you for taking time out, give the people our love, and uh, anything comes up, you know where we're at. We'll be here on Africa on the Move, ready to support you. We thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. Oh. We know we can count on you. All right, good. All right, to our listening audience, you listen to Sister Shirley Bosch, who is a co-chair of the National Network on Cuba, as well as other organizations. She has given you a report on this week's event that took place, or events that took place in Washington, D.C. We'll come back and continue the discussion on what's going on in our world and the community. We will take this break, and when we come back, you can join us. I call you in at 323-679-0841. And since we're talking about Cuba, we'd like to inform our listening audience, next next year, July 
2024, we actually come and join us along with the African Women Association as we take our annual trip to Cuba and feed arrive from July the 24th to the 23rd. You can contact us by emailing us at AfricanAwarenessAssociation2 at gmail.com or you can call the radio, email the radio station at AfricanAwarenessAssociation2 at gmail. So come and join us. you got a year to prepare for this. And once you go one time, you always want to come back. So let's take this revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, we'll be with our political panelists and analysts, and they can talk a little bit about what's going on in that world and the community when we return. Right now, we're going to take you to Cuba. We're going to take you to Havana, Havana. This is Africa on the Moon.
1975 against the Portuguese colonialism. So when we talk about celebrating and have a reflection of our past, this was a very important day for our people movement and the liberation of our brothers and sisters in Mozambique, and don't you forget that. Welcome back to Africa on the Moon. Um, we are discussing what's going on in your world community. We just recently interviewed Sister Shirley Bosch for the National Network on Cuba. She gave us a report on what took place this weekend all over the world, all over the United States, particularly in Washington, D.C., as it relates to the struggle to get Cuba off the terror list and to put an end to the U.S. blockade against Cuba. Right now, we're going to welcome you back along with our panelists and analysts for today, and we're going to bring in our brother Anthony, um, see if you have any comments about what you heard about the work that took place this weekend around Cuba, and also to share with us what's going on in his world and his community. We're happy to have you back, Brother Anthony, and the mic is yours. Yes. Um, just in t- in terms of the efforts to put an end to the blockade of Cuba and uh, s- to support uh, Cuba being taken off the anti-terrorism list, I would add that all Africans should support Cuba's right to self-determination because they earned it uh, with their uh, victory during the independence wars against Spain and the U.S. And uh, they have the right to determine for themselves their economic uh, system and uh, all Africans, because of Cuba's contributions since this revolution towards the liberation of Africa and African people, she supports Cuba's right to determine for itself its own destiny. In terms of what is going on in my world and community, uh, the war against uh, Zionism being waged uh, by the Palestinians and all justice-living people is intensifying. And also, uh, let's see, the conflict uh, things, uh, the conflict between China and the U.S. is intensifying also. Eleanor, thank you, Brother Anthony. Next, we're going to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, you may want to make a response to what you heard about this weekend event in Washington, D.C. on Cuba, and also what's going on in your world and your community. Sister Eleanor. Good evening, Brother Africa, fellow panelists. And I want to offer Robert Moses my condolences for the loss of his Father's sister, Aunt Letty, and the deep, my, you have my deepest condolences for the loss of your aunt. And uh, she was a fantastic woman. Um, I um, continue to struggle with the reality of living personally. My name is Eleanor Johnson, and I'd like to thank you for having me on the 
on the show. I'm a, an artist and environmentalist, human rights activist and former educator. And I want to say to Sister Shirley, you know, the idea of bringing out art, and, you know, it's very important to have people just had the experience of doing something very tactile and um, adding the statement of just take Cuba off the state terrorist list to the official banner and this kind of thing is a didactic tool for assisting the people who participate, the people who see it on film or through phones to realize the didactic tool that allows you to remember and know how important it is to uh, support Cuba uh, in lifting the 62-year embargo and definitely, as you have said, Brother Africa, taking it off the state terrorist list. But, you know, we hear a lot of talk about Texas and it being a part of a medical desert. We hear this about Florida and, you know, during the pandemic, the Africans and uh, West Florida had difficulty with transportation uh, and mobilizing and sharing transportation because of limited public transportation to uh, be vaccinated, and you saw Governor DeSantis open up Florida to anyone who could show up would be eligible to get a, a, a vaccine free. And uh, you saw the impact it's had on the carbon footprint because people with planes and things, they were mobilizing folks and, and going to Florida. And we had are people unable living in Florida to access the vaccine. So it reminds me of how wonderful it is to have Brother IT and Nancy and all of you, Maurice, to talk about organizing, Brother Anthony, organizing, organizing, organizing. And the film uh, really teaches you about love because um, it, it had been being shown around town down in the 1800 block of 14th Street at a, uh, a club restaurant kind of place. And, um, you know, it's an act of love, people, to go out and teach each other to read and to decide that they would have a literate nation. You know, usually the the petty bourgeoisie and the imperialists, they, they, they encourage illiteracy in this country. And uh, we have a major literacy problem in this country. And we have now the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia, is a medical desert. There are four hospitals. It used to be nine or more serving of 200, 250,000 people. Now we have nearly a million people, if not a million people, with only four hospitals. 
So we see that people are dying. The medical workers are overstressed and uh, misdiagnoses, and uh, they have they were taught during the pandemic to assess who or determine who would live and who would not. So suddenly you had doctors that really had the power of life and death in their hands because they would decide who would receive treatment and who were not. And they learned how to write it, computerize it, so that it doesn't look like a latent genocide or or ageism or whatever, you know, ageism rather or, or, or ageism or something of that sort. And it is really uh, something that I think young scholars are going to investigate in just a few years and document and show the world just what happened in the medical field. Anytime the capital is, quote, free world, is, has limited medical facilities, and your mayor, Marion Bowser, an African herself, uh, chose to give away, and ANC1C chose to give away the property that uh, houses the uh, engine number nine fire station and the third district police department, which coincidentally took the commander some years ago, resigned because of the systemic racism. And he made it a point of pointing out that the systemic racism means real systemic racism. Black police not liking black people, white people, and white police and black police uniting around their uh, behavior towards African people. You go in the historic Malcolm X Meridian Hill Park, and the new young whites are able to imbibe, they call them picnics, with wine and marijuana. You wrap up in one minute, so many, so many Africans in jail in the prison industrial complex today that are there for marijuana charges. And does, uh, is there parole, my question would be to the public, is when they come up for parole, if they refuse to work in these prison industrial complexes, does that affect their eligibility for parole? And how free are we living in an imperialist, a capitalist imperialist state? Thank you, Brother Africa, for allowing me to participate in this show. And once again, Robert Moses, I'm sorry about Aunt Letty. And Anthony Williams, it's good to have you back. Thank you. Thank you, my sister. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and the community and your response to this weekend activities on Cuba? Brother Moses, the mic is yours. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. I I really wasn't going to politicize my family personally, but um, 
I guess since it's, since um, people have been expressing their condolences and stuff, I have to stand if I would be be remiss if I didn't say um, Aunt Ivory D. Moses was my father's sister. Letty Moses, Letty Carr, Moses Carr is my youngest sister. So Aunt Ivory is um, is past. Thank you. But anyway, um, um, we we had. Uh, it's good to see a plan come together. Let me say that first of all. Without it, without without a revolutionary theory, there can be no revolutionary movement. And it's good to see a plan come together. And um, and you know, I've heard nothing but good things and uh, nothing but what I expected ultimately. And uh, and so, you know, um, thank goodness for the um, D.C. Metropolitan Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. You know, some of us in that in that solidarity understand that uh, revolution is the solution. And so um, we we um, we continue to struggle with, uh, on all fronts, ideologically, politically, economically, and uh, hope for hope for the future. The future, there is a plan. I have a plan, uh, and uh, I've shared it with a lot of people. And uh, uh, I think you know I have to give honor where honor is due. Uh, Obama did come through. Si se puede with the trying to normalize relationship with Cuba, I mean, in his own way, perhaps, but nevertheless, he did come through. And so once we taste freedom, we don't want to go backwards. And and this counter-revolutionary Donald Trump is is, um, being supported by, by Biden, who's supposed to be some kind of, I don't know what he's supposed to be at this point, but... Anyway, uh, we have to we have to we have to see that um, Cuba's relationship is normalized. And for me, for for those who are in power, who who can make a difference, you know, unjust law is no law at all. And so that's what I say um, in terms of the embargo and all that. Um, um, uh, what else? I'm going to leave it right there. Um, um, uh, is there anything you. going on that you would like to share with our listening audience in your world and community? Yeah, that's a good question. I I try to think on an international scale. That's why it's good you were talking about Mozambique and Revolution Day and stuff. Because I try to I try to think you know my community is the world community, and uh, you know that ghetto project they call Israel um, is still there um, as an abomination to everything Christian. And um, but uh, other than you know the usual problems are going on. I uh, um um I won't belabor the point. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, and again our condolences to you and your family. Well, listen, audience, you listen to Brother Africa on Africa on the Moon. Like always, we may not give you what you want, but we'll do the best to give you what you need. What we're going to do right now, we're going to do a prelude to our theme tonight, a reflection on our past. We're going back in our past, and we're going to highlight a little piece on our brother Ahmed Sekou Touré, who was the first president 
uh, the Revolutionary Republic of Guinea and how he stood up against France and was a good symbol, he is a good symbol, with his question of African dignity and independence. We're going to play this piece for you, and when we come back, we'd like to have a dialogue on this question of how should we dignify ourselves. So at this point in time, let's go back and look at our past as it relates to um, the great influence of the people of Guinea and the leadership of our beloved brother, the first president of the Russian Republic of Guinea, Brother Ahmed Sekou Touré. On 2 October 1958, Guinea became the first of France's colonial territories in sub-Saharan Africa to declare its independence in an act of defiance against its former colonial master. Ahmed Sekotoure, known as a charismatic and radical figure in Africa's post-colonial history, was the leader of the country at the time and he was the driving force behind this rebellion by the former French colony. However, Guinea and Sekotoure achieved this status of independence against the wishes of its former colonial master, France, and afterwards the nation faced an onslaught of administrative and diplomatic assault by the French which seemed to have been designed to drive the country to its knees. The French colonial elite in Paris got so furious with Secoture's defiance, such that in an act of fury, the French administration in Guinea destroyed everything in the country that represented what they called the benefits of French colonization. After this whole fiasco, Touré would go on to rule the country of Guinea for 26 years, and his time in power and legacy divides opinions. In this episode of African Biographics, we look at the life and legacy of Ahmed Seko Touré, Guinea's first president who stood up to the French and his time in power as the leader of that country. In the early years of the 20th century, the French held most of what would become their colonial territory in West Africa, including present-day Senegal, Mali, Burkina Faso, Benin, Guinea, Ivory Coast, and Niger. But by the close of the Second World War, the colonized people of what was known as French West Africa were making their dissatisfaction with the colonial system heard. French General Charles de Gaulle came to power in France in 1958 and he admitted that the time for colonies had passed and that a substitute system of association was required. This substitute system would come in the form of the proposed French community. Under the appearance of equality, the constitution of the French community restricted the sovereignty of the African states and reaffirmed the preeminence of France. So here is what the administration of Charles de Gaulle was suggesting. They said that any of his territories that wanted independence could take it immediately. Charles de Gaulle promised that France would not oppose it. For those countries that were going to vote for immediate independence, it would be up to France to decide whether to continue to support a newly independent territory depending upon the latter's degree of cooperation. In reality though, Charles de Gaulle wasn't expecting any form of resistance from any of the colonial territories when the time came to vote in referendums for the adoption of the French community. But he had another thing coming, and that was in the form of resistance from Guinea led by Ahmed Sekotoure. Affectionately known as the Elephant, Ahmed Sekotoure was born in 1922 in Guinea. At the age of 14, he displayed the spark of political activism 
as he led a student revolt against a French technical school in Conakry, the capital of Guinea. He was later dismissed from this school. As a young worker in the French colonial administration, he went on to become a trade union activist and this was in 1940. In the following year in 1941, he took an administrative assignment in the postal service where his interest in the labor movement started increasing. To reformed close ties with senior labor leaders and organized 76 days of the first successful strike in French-controlled West Africa. Then in 1945, he became the Secretary General of the Post and Telecommunications Workers' Union and participated in the foundation of the Federation of Workers' Union of Guinea, which was linked to the World Federation of Trade Unions. He eventually became the Vice President of the Union. Because of Seko Touré's skills as an orator, he was elected to the French National Assembly in 1951 as the representative of Guinea. From a trade union base, he managed to build up his political party, known as the Parti Démocratique de Guinée, the PDG, into a powerful mass movement. In the 1957 elections in Guinea, the PDG won 56 out of a possible 60 seats and Toure, at the age of 35, became Guinea's Prime Minister. Seko Toure was also an admirer of Ghana's Kwame Nkrumah and as such he was far more interested in ideas of Pan-African unity than in the French community and he quickly made clear his dislike of the Gauss plan of the French community which I alluded to earlier. This would explain why he campaigned against the plan and won. When Charles de Gaulle arrived in the capital city of Guinea, Conakry, on 25 August in 1959, at the end of an African tour to campaign for a year's vote for the new French community, he was greeted by crowds lining the streets from the airport shouting independence slogans. Moments later, he was subjected to a brash speech from Ahmed Sekotoure attacking France's colonial record and demanding complete decolonization before Guinea joined the Franco-African community, also known as the French community. In the speech, Seko Toure uttered one of his famous statements, which was, and I quote, The notion of a continuing French community would maintain our status of indignity and our status of subordination. We prefer poverty in liberty to riches in slavery. This statement was met with enthusiastic applause by the Guinean crowd present. Angry and slightly embarrassed by what had transpired, Charles de Gaulle rose in reply to defend France's record and he repeated his offer, saying, I say it here even louder than anywhere else, independence is at Guinea's disposal. She can take it by saying no to the proposal which is made to her. And in that case, I guarantee that France will raise no obstacles. But unfortunately for de Gaulle and France, Guinea in the referendum voted no. Guinea's no vote was overwhelming. Over 94% of eligible voters had followed the instruction of their local political leaders over the exhortations of their colonial masters. Guinea proclaimed its independence as a republic four days after the vote to reject the proposed constitution of France's fifth republic and with it the offer of membership in the new French community. Not a single other territory in French West Africa or French Equatorial Africa registered a no vote, 
and in most of the territories, the margin of victory for France was nearly as high as the magnitude of its loss in Guinea. In the anti-colonial world at large, Seko Toure was acclaimed a hero. Unfortunately for him and his country, this decision would have severe economic and political consequences for the newly independent nation. When Seko Toure and Guinea decided in 1956 to get out of the French colonial empire and opted for the country's independence, the French colonial elite in Paris got so angry. Charles de Gaulle's reaction to Guinea's no vote was swift and vindictive. All French aid was terminated. French civil servants and army units, including army doctors largely responsible for providing health services to the civilian population in Guinea, were immediately withdrawn. In a mass exodus, some 3,000 French administrators, teachers, engineers, technicians and businessmen left the country. They took with them any French government property they could carry and in an act of sabotage, destroyed what had to be left behind. Government files and records were burnt. Offices were stripped of furniture and telephones and even their electric light bulbs. And that was not all. Army doctors took away medical supplies and police officers smashed windows in their barracks. When Seko Ture moved into the former governor's house, he found that the furniture and pictures had been removed and the crockery smashed. The purpose of this outrageous act was to send a clear message to all other colonies that the consequences for rejecting France would be very high. But well, Guinea was not done. The country went and ditched the CFA franc currency as the official currency, opting for a national Guinean franc in 1959. In an act of retaliation, the French resorted to counterfeiting the Guinean franc to destabilize the Guinean economy. It is alleged that French special forces printed the counterfeits which were distributed across the country. This whole operation left the Guinean economy in a bad state. The idea was to exert as much pressure as possible on the economy, force it to buckle and depose Sekotoure. Slowly, fear spread through the African elite and none after the Guinea events ever found the courage to follow the example of Sekotoure. Though the other colonies went and got independence in 1960, they were all still loyal to France. Brutally cut off from French economic support and subsequently refused aid by the United States, Ahmed Sekotoure turned for outside aid to replace what France had been providing. Toure turned to his friend and ally Kwame Nkrumah from Ghana. The two leaders shared the ideals of Pan-Africanism, a doctrine that stressed the unity of all African nations above and beyond each nation's own self-interest. Ghana quickly loaned Guinea some $28 million. Seko Toure also turned to the then Soviet Union for assistance. By 1960, nearly half of Guinea's exports were going to the Eastern Bloc nations and the Soviets had committed millions of dollars of aid to the African Republic. As a result of the Soviet influence, Guinea became a socialist country with a command economy, an entrenched communist single-party structure, the PDG, with political cells down to village and district level as well as a system of informants. However, Toure's exclusive association with the communists was short-lived. 
1961, he expelled the Russian ambassador for interfering in the internal affairs of his country, accusing the Soviets of plotting a Marxist revolution. Following this episode, the United States became a significant source of aid for Guinea. In 1963, Ture met with President John F. Kennedy and the United States subsequently loaned Guinea $400 million to develop its bauxite industry. From bauxite is where we derive the metal aluminium. As time went on, in the 1960s, Ture maintained a stance of positive neutrality with respect to the Cold War conflict between the superpowers, accepting aid from both the United States and the Soviet Union. Following the break from France, Seko Ture imposed a socialist blueprint on Guinea's economy, but at the same time, he inhabited a world of conspiracy. As a result, he began plots and purges, starting in 1960, only two years after Guinea had become independent. He spoke frequently of what he called a permanent plot to overthrow his regime, a vast conspiracy, so he claimed, organized by Western powers and other enemies of the Guinean revolution. Some plots were undoubtedly real, some were deliberately created, but unfortunately others were simply fictitious. For instance, in 1961, he announced the discovery of a teacher's plot after teachers had demanded equal pay for equal work and criticized government policies. Prominent teachers and intellectuals were detained, and the Soviet ambassador was summarily expelled, accused of meddling in Guinea's affairs and sponsoring this revolt. About one-fifth of Guinea's population immigrated to neighboring African countries, mostly to escape his harsh domestic policies. His regime became notorious for short trials, public executions, arbitrary imprisonment, and the use of torture. In 1965, after a group of traders tried to form an opposition party and nominated a candidate to stand in the presidential election against Seko Ture, they were arrested and condemned to death. In 1972, a shortage of medicine was described by Seko Ture as a plot by the physicians to discredit the revolution. He also interpreted news of a cholera epidemic in Guinea in 1973 as a counter-revolutionary plot. This constant barrage of permanent plots by the Sekoture regime instilled fear amongst the citizens and coerced them to comply with the government. But earlier on I also said that some of the plots against Sekoture were real and this led to him having an increase in paranoia. For instance, in June of 1970, Radio Conakry reported on an impending invasion of Guinea by forces that were being trained in Portuguese Guinea, now known as Guinea-Bissau. A few months later, a group of mercenaries were arrested in the country. Toure had given support to the long anti-colonial struggle that was being waged in Guinea-Bissau. For generations, the Portuguese government had held the tiny African province in its grip. So Seko Ture provided freedom fighters in Guinea-Bissau with base facilities and diplomatic support. Portugal countered by conducting a major propaganda campaign against Seko Ture, characterizing his regime as a Marxist dictatorship. And in 1970, the Portuguese helped mount a mercenary invasion of Guinea. 
This invasion led Seko Ture to believe that the conspiracy against his government was universal. As destructive as the mercenary plot was, the invasion failed to unseat Seko Ture. Instead, it led to a reign of terror, suspicion and violence in Guinea. Public figures suspected of holding opinions critical to Ture and his government were classified as subversives and were arrested. Secret mass trials and executions followed. The bodies of the condemned were later displayed in public places. The nation of Guinea was potentially a rich country with well-watered coastal plains and extensive uplands offering huge agricultural potentials and vast deposits of bauxite and iron ore. But Ture's economic strategy proved very destructive. To free Guinea from its subordination to France and to prevent the rise of an elite entrepreneurial class in the country, he extended state control to every sector of the economy. Independent traders were denounced as bourgeoisie traitors to the revolution and were replaced by a huge state trading corporation. The result was a string of state corporations that were badly managed, heavily in debt, rife with corruption and crippled by low production. Sekoture's policies and other grievances over the shortage of goods and rough treatment dealt by his regime led to protest demonstrations by market women which began in rural centers, then spread to provincial towns and finally erupted in the capital. When market women in Conakry marched on the presidential palace, government troops were instructed to fire on them. What saved Guinea from complete ruin was the revenue derived from the country's bauxite mines, which Ture was careful to leave in the hands of the foreign companies. By the late 1970s and early 80s, after 20 years of enforced socialism, Ture began to retreat, permitting some private business and trading firms to operate and disbanding his economic police. He also began reaching out to Western investors. He would later explain that, quote, for the first 20 years, we have concentrated on developing the mentality of our people. Now we are ready to do business with others. By 1976, diplomatic relations were re-established between Guinea and France. French business people were allowed to pursue trade and investment opportunities in Guinea. Guinea compensated nationalized French companies while the French agreed to pay the pensions of 20,000 Guinean ex-servicemen. Guinea also released Europeans imprisoned in Conakry for allegedly plotting to overthrow the government. In 1982, he traveled to New York to appeal to Wall Street financiers for increased private investment in Guinea. Ahmed Sekoture died in 1984 while undergoing a heart operation in an American hospital. By the time of his death, he had ruled the country of Guinea for 26 years. In April of 1984, the army staged a coup and took over the country, filling the political void that had been left by the death of Seko Ture. Despite his controversial domestic policies, Ahmed Seko Ture is also remembered as a strong champion of African unity and pan-Africanism who wasted no time in attempting to strengthen ties with neighboring and other African countries and thus lessen their collective dependence on former European colonizers. Others also see him as a dictator. 
Let me know in the comment section below what your opinion is on the life and legacy of Ahmed Sekoture. Don't forget to like and share the video if you enjoyed it. We'd like to welcome you back to the Africa on the Moon. We're discussing our theme tonight, a reflection about past. And that was a real interesting um, presentation of a history, or an aspect of history of Ahmed Sekoture. At the end of the narrator, want to know what you think of his opinion on how he, and I word where he, how he perceived who Secretary was. Let's just have a little discussion on that, and um, we'll continue to do this by bringing our political panelists analysts. And at this point in time, we'll go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, one of the things we knew about Secretary Ray, and I stated earlier, and as we said, we had decided we'd stand behind it. He was a good symbol for independence and resistance and a good servant to our people. Man, near the end of that documentary, I wish that myself, it seems it could be a, a little bit, a lot more pro-West and undermining the true value essence of who Secretary was and not being failed to... Um, those who might hear this presentation and don't understand the full impact in history of Secretary Ray and what he had to deal with as it relates to opposition forces from within and without and how the U.S. and the Western nations uh, played a major role and continue to play a major role to help keep Guinea underdeveloped under his leadership as well as today. Brother Anthony, give me a response to reflection of the past as it relates to your understanding, Brother Secretary, and what you heard. Certainly. Um, Secretary uh, was, uh, was, uh, was a Pan-Africanist above all else, and he believed in the, in the unification and liberation of Africa under scientific socialism. And he tried to implement this by, uh, by uh, you know, encouraging socialist practices in Guinea, for which she received a lot of criticism for. And, um, you know, but he, uh, he was a, a staunch Pan-Africanist and a patriot. And that he um, he uh, gave aid to other Africans that were also struggling against capitalism, and I think this is a key to to the opposition that rose around him. Uh, the capitalists took advantage of the class contradictions inside of Guinea in order to sow division and to advance their objectives. And I think in terms of looking at some of the policies that Guinea pursued during Teray's time, is, that, is to keep this in mind, that uh, the class contradictions were exploited by Africa's enemies in order to sow division and 
and, and intensify the contradictions between the working class and the uh, petty bourgeoisie that uh, controlled uh, um, many of independent Africa's resources at the time. And uh, that is why, uh, you know, the struggle in getting was so intense because of the uh, internal and external enemies that Guinea was up against. Thank you, Brother Anthony. This is Eleanor. It's from your perspective, which you're hearing, what you may know. Only what you know, let's um, speak to the issue, a reflection of the past. How do you view, Brother Secretary? Ahmed Sekou Ture uh, led a brave struggle towards Pan-Africanism and influenced um, the independence of Africa. And he had to withstand many things that Africans are still dependent on today, such as the CFR, and then to have the French counterfeit them and do so much destruction. Um, he led a, a valid effort to liberate Guinea, and he did. And uh, that I know, and uh, he is an African hero for having done so. Thank you. Thank you, Susanna. Brother Moses, your thoughts on the work and life of Brother Secretary. Brother Moses. Well, first of all, First of all, um, let me say the narrative, um, the narrator and, and his narrative uh, was definitely, uh, uh, I would say, slanted, if not biased. But um, but he had an opinion. In other words, he he he, he had a stance, and uh, Secretary Ray didn't didn't re- meet meet his 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 standard, um, put it to put it lightly. So anyway. Um, Secretary Ray, you know, from, from even from what I heard, I mean, because he used he used facts, he used facts. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully he didn't make up facts, uh, but because uh, I, you know, I, I only I only know Secretary Ray through the experience of revolutionary activity and and conversation with revolutionaries, readings by revolutionaries, and and uh, and. And so, you know, this, um, this, this, you know, I don't know. Anyway, I, all I know is he was a Pan-Africanism. He was in. He was. A, he was Pan-Africanism. And obviously, as as Eleanor said, he liberated. Uh, his ideas were the foundation for the liberation of his people uh, there, and. Uh, 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 I don't know what else to say. Uh, um, and that's enough. He was, he, was, he, was a hum, he was a human being. He was a human being. I would say that he was a human being. And you know, from the standpoint of a Christian, he was born in the world of sin, shaped in iniquity, and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, he was he was he was he was uh, a sinner, and uh, and his only salvation was ultimately in Jesus Christ, but 
that's that's from a Christian standpoint. Uh, from just a plain revolutionary scientific socialist, uh, someone who studied political science and who who believes in science, uh, he was a revolutionary and and he did what he was supposed to do as a revolutionary. That's why he's still revered by revolutionaries. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moulton. To listen audience, to really get a better understanding of your heroes and sheroes of the night and the scrub of Brother Secretary and his impact on Africa and African people in the world, do some research. He has written over 200 books that most of the world knows nothing about. Final books, researcher books, and readers. And now he was a theoretical and practitioner, but he was a great man of thought and to look at how he was able to unite his country and get rid of all these tribalism into one nation is something that we all can learn from and marvel at. But let's continue. Just look at the reflection of our past. Let's look at the position of Brother Kwame Ture and what he had to say about this whole question as it relates to the African bourgeoisie and class struggle. And then we'll come back from your response. But our struggle since the 60s, you will see nothing but betrayals by the petty bourgeois elements in our society. The African bourgeoisie is the most corrupt bourgeoisie in the world. In Africa, they seek luxury in the midst of mass suffering. There are more Mercedes in Africa than in any other continent in the world. In America, as soon as they arrive at a position based on this blood of the people, they snatch that position and run away from the people. But you must not think that they represent the people. They only represent their opportunistic self using the people every step of the way. So you must not be confused. It must be clear then for the 60s, the class struggle in the African Revolution must be more ruthless and uncompromising than in any other revolution. Here then the masses must come without pity and without mercy to trample upon these reactionary pigs who after the people have gained struggle through their blood come to hand back the gains on a silver platter to the very enemy the people fought. This will come as a natural consequence. The people themselves are everywhere screaming that it's time for them to deal with these reactionary pigs. Even in America, they say, our leaders must be held accountable. They're only saying here that these people must be accountable to those who made it possible for them to get there. Thus, not only is the revolution inevitable, but it is clarifying itself and it is qualifying itself. For the African masses everywhere, the clairpoise position now for class struggle has become inevitable and irreversible. The petty bourgeoisie everywhere will be running for cover, but the masses will spare them not. Consequently, we who have dedicated our lives to the people's struggle, we who knowing that the people will always be free, we understanding that we must make a contribution to qualify our struggle since the 60s, have been, dedicating, have been dedicating all our energies to only one task, the organization of the masses of our people. The organization of the masses of our people. We are not running for mayor. We're not running for president. No changes can come from the top down. We're not stupid. Changes can only come from the bottom up. The masses and the masses alone can make them. If you want to learn something from the 60s, the lesson is simple. Organize the masses of the people. Thank you. You heard it. A perspective on the African bourgeoisie. 
and class struggle. That was then and now. Has anything changed? We can see and get a sense of why some of the things Secretary had to do in order to liberate his people and continue to fight for their liberation. And best of all, when Brother Kwame Teray stated, Imamana today, what has been the behavior and the role of the bourgeoisie? What about this aspect of this class struggle among and within us? There are certain groupings of our people who have aligned themselves and have interests that is supporting the interests of those who oppress you, of your enemy. So, Brother Anthony, let me hear your take as we look at a reflection of our past and critique the bourgeoisie and the question of class struggle. Give me some of your thoughts, Brother Anthony. Certainly. The class struggle in our community is intensifying. Uh, The petty bourgeoisie tends to hand back our gains to our enemies on a silver platter, as Kwame Ture stated. And history has shown this to be true. And, um, you know, uh, a lot of our leadership, such as uh, Kamala Harris and Barack Obama, have have, uh, obtained their positions by betraying the gangs of our people for a few pieces of silver for their for their friends and uh, immediate family members at the expense of uh, the gains obtained by the masses of our people. So it is in the class struggle. If anything is intensified. And now it becomes more important than ever to realize that we're in a nation class struggle for liberation. Thank you, Brother Anthony. So, Sister Eleanor, Sister Eleanor, your perspective on the role of the petty bourgeoisie versus this question of us intensifying the class struggle within and among African people. Your response is Eleanor. I'm sorry, Brother Africa. Your question was. I said, what is your response to the issue of the bourgeoisie within the African community and the question to intensify the class struggle among African people? Well, as Brother Anthony said, uh, in the United States of America, you see it intensified when you see uh, we elect our leaders to political office, and you see the nation embrace uh, Africans and elect them to political office, such as Barack Obama and uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. But what you also see is what has happened in the Congressional Black Caucus has failed to advance a solid agenda, even that of basic reforms, whether it be a nationalized voter rights act, such as John Lewis Act or something, 
or to support labor in some way, to stand up against environmental injustice. They have no agenda. So we are dealing with some of the same things that our brothers and sisters in the homeland are dealing with. You know, the neo-colonialist mentality, personal enrichment, um, uh, being so publicly admired and embraced until we forget the reality of the average African-American as it affects our health, uh, as it affects uh, literacy in this country, for this to be the, quote, wealthiest country on the planet, to have such a high literacy rate. This isn't the 1960s or 70s America where, well, the 1960s where it was always number one or number two in world literacy. They're way down the list. Way, way, way down the list. And I don't mean in the top 20 either. So um, imperialism had caused in the media and the lack of regulating social media has caused there to be a war, an inner-class war where you see white children driving all the way to Buffalo to kill black people where you see white folks going all the way to a synagogue in the suburbs of Chicago to kill Jewish people. This, if this was uh, these same people going to knock off the top 20,000 and the eight or nine wealthiest men in America, there would be immediate political action taken. And you uh, also see that the failure of the civil rights movement has led to the failure of America in that um, you now see um, you now see we have elected uh, uh, uninformed, uneducated, uneducated Congress. And you see people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is uh, QAnon, and they are a cult. I would imagine we'd ever have a cult, in, a cult member in the U.S. Congress. Or that Congresswoman from Denver. So we see so much inequity in this country. And uh, we're going to continue to see great inequity. And as Sister Shirley said, the way to change that is by having unions and, and embracing labor. I remember when the, the nurses were forming the union here in Washington, D.C. back in the 1970s, starting with GW, George Washington University Hospital, what a great struggle it was. That enthusiasm, that support, that labor, uh, support is lost because people don't know how they got there. 
They don't know how the union helps advance their wages and why they stand where they stand. So I think what uh, you can really see is the class struggle is intensified by the fact that we have so many political leaders that, or quasi-leaders, whether it's the press secretary at the White House, whether it's uh, one of my church members on a regular news commentary show or, uh, you know, like you said, Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, wonderful people. But the reality is, is that the masses are disenfranchised and underemployed, and those that are working cannot afford housing, so they live in subsidized, cannot afford food, so they depend on SNAP benefits. And the reality is this is political war against the working class, because if you live in subsidized housing, and you go out to a demonstration and you're arrested, you can lose your home and become a homeless person. So it's, it's an incredible contradiction, and we have a long way to go. And we got to... Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much. Okay. Yeah. Brother Moses, your response to this question of the behavior of the bourgeoisie and the need to intensify class struggle based upon our past and reflection of analysis that we just heard from Brother Kwame Ture. Your response, Brother Moses. Exactly, exactly. And I, I have to seize the moment so bad with me. I have to seize the moment. Um, I wrote this in the winter of 2009. As stated, we are not adopted an organizational blueprint that covers all possibilities for the next period. Rather, as we enter the post-Bush political era, we are crafting an overall strategic orientation that is premised on the likelihood of an intensification of the domestic struggle inside the United States. As Chairman Mao pointed out in his treatise, where do correct ideas come from? They don't just pop from the sky, but ideas come from three sources, the class struggle, the struggle for production, and scientific experiment. In the course of the struggle, ideas are developed. Lenin inherited, defended, and developed Marxism. And that's why he is a great Marxist. Theory comes from the summation of the experiences of the working classes taken in this general aspect. It is a guide to action. For without revolutionary theory, there can be no revolutionary movement. Although the working class spontaneously gravitates towards socialism, as Lenin pointed out in What Is to Be Done, he also said that socialism is a science and must be pursued as a science. That is, it has to be studied. Newman says that the class struggle takes place on three fronts, the political struggle, the economic struggle, and the theoretical struggle. The theoretical victory of Marxism forces opportunists to cloak themselves in Marxist clothing. Yet the struggle remains between the correct path and the incorrect path. And obviously since, since that was written, we've, had, we've been through COVID-19, We've been through a lot of experiences, um, and uh, um, we even had the uh, uh, what is it? What's his name? Uh, Trump. We had the Trump experience since then. The struggle continues, and and we have to be 
be on time when it's time to act. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. This is Africa on the Move. I'm Brother Africa. We're discussing a reflection of our past. What we're going to do right now, we're going to go to a clipping from Kwame Nkrumah, who was giving the man of the century, and based on his leadership of being the first president of Ghana. And when we come back for our closing remark, we'd like to have our political panelists respond to um, the statement by Nkrumah and their final thoughts. We'll do this when we come back. This is Africa on the Move. Listen carefully and come back with us. Here's Nkrumah. As you reflect, this was back when he was um, back in the early, late 50s, 60s. Uh, you know, again, he received our independence in 57, and he had a coup that was organized by the U.S. CIA, U.S. CIA and Western Europe in 66. And what are you saying then? Do they still exist today as it relates to Africa African people? You must learn from our past and reflect on our past if we want to understand the present so we can move forward in the future. Now, here's a statement from our beloved president, our first president, Donald, or second for Kwame Nkrumah. The forces arrayed against us are, and I use the word most carefully, formidable. They are intense and powerful. They are, as I have taken some pains to explain, they operate in worldwide combinations at all levels. Political, economic, military, cultural, educational, social and trade. And not all, and through intelligence, cultural, and information services. <laughs> they operate from European and African centers, using agents who, I'm ashamed to say, are often on patriotic sons of Africa, buying personal satisfactions with the betrayal of their country's safety and integrity. They seduce leaders. They seduce leaders of the African political, trade union, and people's organization, thus creating rifts and horrors within the national front. On the broader front, they are massing their forces in a determined effort to stay the advance of African liberation and the march of unity. They are attempting many methods some sinister, some beguiling to wreck our efforts. They strike antipathetic postures. On one side, they perform acts calculated to strike fear. On the other, they try to do hoodwink us with fictitious gifts, which superficially pander to our hopes and aspirations. They are the president's attempts to deflect our purpose to weaken our determination. You guys just heard from the past 
A reflection from Brother Osegba Kwame Nkrumah as he was talking about this, this group we call the Illuminati. But in terms of your final thoughts, Brother Moses, who would it be for today's program? Brother Moses, your final thoughts. Okay, okay. Well, I think, you know, in terms of information, I think there's a lot of information that has changed hands in terms of the political struggle, uh, uh, concretely useful revolutionary information. Uh, and so uh, I'm glad we we were able to discuss uh, the weekend because the, the weekend was, was uh, a critical moment in the struggle, basically. Uh, but anyway, um, I think, you know, this has been good to be on. Um, uh, uh, it's good to be alive. It's, it's good. It's good to um, be able to say I serve the people and I keep politics in command. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, for your contribution to today's program. We now will go to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, your final thoughts for tonight. Thank you so much for another great program. And um, to Sister Shirley, you know, we have to talk about, uh, she made me reflect on the great mirrorless of Mexico and revolutionary Rivera, Diego Rivera. And I think back and often, I have mentioned more than once on this show, the impact of art. He painted a mural of the Dallas brother driving a Jeep and a cannonball with Eisenhower's face. And the dictator that uh, was responsible for the coup d'etat in Guatemala and the travelers thought it was fabulous. But it told the whole story of, of people where thousands would die so that one of the Dallas brothers could become the uh, executive of the United Fruit Corporation in Guatemala. And the degradation that the indigenous people, Guatemala being largely an indigenous country, suffered. And it makes me reflect also on the history of this country where Woodrow Wilson was offered the opportunity sometime between 1905 and 1910 to purchase what is today's Mexico, as Thomas Jefferson had a century before purchased northern Mexico, you know, California, Wyoming, all those western states. And it reminds me of why they declined. They declined for a couple of reasons. One, they didn't want a bunch of indigenous people. They had too many already, and they had killed millions. Two, 1.5 million ex-slaves had moved to Mexico. He described them as uh, something unspeakable. And three, he said, we don't want a bunch of half-breeds and 
indigenous people and Africans diluting our white country. Well, someone said something very interesting to me today. His name is Harold, and he's from Venezuela. He said, we've arrived. <laughs> so with that, I'd like to say that uh, what Hamed de Couture did for Africa, you heard in Ghana when Fidel Castro and Shea Shabera attempted to assist him in sustaining his government. And when they spoke to the UN, letting the UN that they know there should be no, no nuclear weapons in Africa, no European armies in Africa, Africans shouldn't be there. He's rolling over in a grave with the thought of such a thing. So with that in mind, I think so much was learned. And today, a light would shine on Cuba as an Afrocentric country. Castro always talks about Cuba being an Afrocentric country and himself being an African. So, and when he came to this country, there were parades in Harlem and in all of the African communities. Um, it takes a lot to be a revolutionary and speak truth to power. And we continue, you continue to do that weekly, Brother Africa, through this program. And I just like to say to you, thank you for doing it and to have a great week. We miss Brother Haki this evening and Brother Maurice. We hope that they will join us next week. And thank you ever so much. Good night. Thank you, Sister Eleanor, for your contribution to today's program. Brother Anthony, close us out on your thoughts and reflection of our past. Brother Anthony. Certainly. First of all, I want to express my personal condolences to Brother Robert on the on the on on the transition of his aunt and uh, uh, let's see and express my condolences to him and his family also uh, let's see my final thoughts for this uh, evening's program is that in order for the masses of the people to be victorious, it is more important than ever that all Africans join an organization guided by revolutionary ideology that is working for our people's liberation. One such organization is the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. And uh, you can find out more about us by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. And you can learn more 
learn there more about the history of Pan-Africanism, the history of our party, and uh, what, uh, what we're trying to do. But is critical in order for us to defeat enemies, for all of us to join an organization that is working by people's liberation, guided by revolutionary theology. Thank you for having Thank you. Thank you, Brother Ed, as well to yours for your contribution to today's program and to our listening audience. This has been Brother Africa or Africa on the Move. And our theme tonight was a reflection of our past. Sometimes it can be important to take a step back in order to go forward. Um, what we attempt to do tonight and always is to try to concretize you to the point where you would do these things. Take a step back so you can go forward. But to do this, we want to do this collectively, and we also want to do this on a conscious basis. And one of the best ways we can do this is by taking time to learn our history. So please do that. Don't let nobody tell you your history. You learn it for yourself. And you make history, and you make history not only for yourself, but for those who came before you, so those who come after you can benefit. That's the only way you can repay back those who have came before you and pay your debt back. So on that note, we'd like to remind you that check us out, support us every Sunday evening at 7 p.m., spread the word. Also, if you'd like to help support our work and make a contribution to Africa on the Move, Blog Talk Radio, you can do that several ways. You can contact us at dollar sign, small, capital L, small e, small e, small c, small r, small o, small b, or you can zell us to Africa on, to, you can zell us to African Awareness Association, to at Gmail. Our contribution is greatly appreciated. And, but more importantly, we want you to do one thing, talk about the program, spread the program, and help us build our listenership. We will greatly appreciate it. So until next time, we see you next week, and we'll leave you with some music of liberation. And let's continue to always describe to go forward, ever, backwards, never. This has been Africa on the Move. <laughs> Oh, that needs a gold. I've said so.
My skin is brown My manner is tough Black man, go on and get a cat scan. I had chain wrap too straight, too tight. We get a backhand, there ain't no Batman in this black land. I wish a rich nigga would come and save the day and pave the way. Ain't no amazing grace. I blaze the haze to remain the faith. Twenty years be my medicine, but they wanna throw me away for that. Then turn around and legalize it. I wish being black was truly accepted. Four hundred year elephant in the room. This ain't a new deal. They've been treating us like animals. We in a zoo still. So let me tell you how I feel. Guilty. Conscious trumps common sense every day, y'all. Ignore the issues, look at the victim like it's their fault. As if a wagon ain't harassing, waiting for jaywalkers in front of the building, minding your business. You was trying to pay your bills as if that wasn't to mention. Conjunction, junction, tell me what's your intention. Don't call him king, then treat him like some common folk. You a fighter like Ronda Rose. Rousey move around the rope. Drowsy with a cloud of smoke. Howdy do for Maui, bro. Traveling around the globe, you didn't know, but now you know. Early morning rise since my end of a long kick in. Birdman hand rubs, feeling my palms itching. I need a spiritual thought with top that's top notch. We watch black power docs and study our chakras. Ooh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. And we gon' cop a ticket and fly on out of here, fly on out. Ooh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You actin' like the sun ain't out And we gon' compensate it in Fly on out here, fly on out Oh dear black man, tell me what happened You can't be low when your glow's everlasting Then when your ass spin on ass spin like a has been Raising the trap when the guard talk math and moves with a max in Not that nigga back then, but look now nigga I'm established, cut camera action I cut lines with my sad card, my bitch is packing Then I'm cutting in line with a bad boy, they caught him flagging Then huddle around him with a stat chart look You stay awake up feeling better than I ever 
cooking Check out my melanin It's now the makeup for the mannequin That wants to be the same as the slave on the sedative You kill culture, I give knowledge I spit stylish Crane kicks and Balenciagas And speaking science And bodegas that grow flavors Was taught language Was taught to talk with the razor From having Spanish neighbors I fought the haters Caught cases and lost paper Educated killers walking no ladies cross the street Turn back around Walk across and sell hard to a fee No turning back now Rent you and your kids gotta eat Yeah Black man rooted deep with the blood of a king Yeah Black man roses arose from the cold concrete I eat, walk, talk, gritty Snitches get buck fifty One slice buck fifty Both get cut quickly Until they free Goldie Nobody can fuck talk with about Oh, child Don't you ever Come, come down You acting like the Sun ain't out So we gon' cop a ticket here Fly on out of here Fly on out Oh, child Don't you ever Come, come down You acting like the Sun ain't out Black became beautiful, then made America great again. See the page of history or see the grave and hate again. I'm from New York, the last state to free the slaves, and now we getting to the point where they rebooting Martin Payne and them. Black man, switch it up, just to be versatile. Why you always mean mugging? Man, it never hurts to smile. Make a record, break a record, get the record straight. I'm just trying to get it going, I'm trying to accelerate. Life alert. Welcome to my world, live and living color, stay low, word to J-Lo, out here with my fly girl, black man, black man, they give you whack answers, they robbing you with Batman, they give you Black Panther, when all our people dying, they think that we need a movie, but the box office don't break off the descendants of Huey, think about it, I'm cooler than a Coca-Cola polar bear, hold up, roll up something potent right before we go in there, maroon custom support that shit that touches the streets, puffing a leaf on a corner that gave me nothing but grief, don't come around my way if your whole message is how much you got If you ain't got no fucking shot Then don't touch the fucking rock Lucy still 50 cent Cool what kind of blunts you got You can lock a few niggas for hustling But nothing stops The judge just makes a hero And a young black boy lose their fucking pops And go on a robbing spree like fuck the ops Phone out of battery Black mirror word the Windex King of the table of contents Human index I handle everything myself The one man quintet Let's take it where it hasn't been yet Dear black man Work life. One take. Fuck you. One reason only, one reason. I didn't care where I was. I might have gone to Hong Kong, I might have gone to Timbuktu, ended up in Paris, on the streets of Paris. It was $40 and I talked about the theory that nothing worse could happen to me there than it already happened to me here. You talk about making it a divide about yourself, you had to be able then to turn up all the incentive of which you live because once you turn your back on this society, you may die. You may die. And it's very hard to put a typewriter and concentrate on that if you're afraid of the world around you.
why me sing and say Africa, my motherland I'm never living this land anymore